Hey there, I'm Rebecca Carter and welcome back to Not Nosy, the podcast where I interview artists that I know and admire about their life and about their art. Today we have Joel with us. You may know him as quite convincing on Hit Record and uh, he is someone that I have done some comedy work with to produce some comedy podcasts and sketches and he's just super fun and smart and uh, we have a really nice rapport. So it was awesome to talk to him. I can't wait to get into that. Uh, also, we have a vacuum that joins us as our additional guest during uh, the middle of the podcast. So that's something to look forward to. <laughs> and if you heard our previous episode, you might have heard me tease a project that I'm working on with a couple of past guests of Not Nosy and it's ready and it's out and it's live for another couple weeks and I want to tell you about it. So it's called Little Quotes by Little Folks and it's a book we want to make and we are going to make. We're running it on Kickstarter. It's a crowdfunding project but we're doing it a little differently. So if you're familiar with how we, we talk about hair record a lot here but it's a collaborative art site where artists from all over the world get together uh, contribute different pieces to create a really cool uh, finished product and in the past we've made short films we've made podcasts we've been part of making books with this group that I'm working with which is Jake Olson Tia Loving Sarah Webster all past guests on this podcast if you want to listen to their episodes and everyone has something a little unique to contribute to this project and what we decided was hey why don't we do this collaboration thing but we'd like to kind of be able to run the project on our own have more control over it and we decided to run it on kickstarter but the the deal is this okay everyone's been a kid right and a lot of us have kids and kids by nature just say really funny stuff and we thought wouldn't it be fun to make a book that includes quotes funny quotes from kids from all over the world in this book and jake is our illustrator and he's uh hand lettering all these quotes that we're gonna have uh illustrating the book it's just gonna be we have some sample stuff up on the site it's really nice so you're gonna check out the site no i hope you check out the site um littlequotesbook.com and uh and and we'll explain it a little more but Basically, we're going to collect all these quotes from people. Every single person that participates in the campaign is going to get a final product of the book, either an ebook or a hardcover book, whichever one you select, and is going to be able to contribute quotes for consideration in the book. So, so it could be something that you said as a kid. It could be something that your kid said. We've we've got some samples of things that our kids have said and and people have been sending us in samples of of what their kids have said and it's just it's just so much fun to to hear uh the things that kids come up with and and their little kid brains that are so sometimes surprisingly profound and sometimes just so out of place and silly Anyway, it's fun. We made it so that people can participate starting at just $2. We tried to make price not really a big issue. Uh, if you want the hardcover book, we're going to try and make it really nice. And, and there's an option for that too. So 
It'd be awesome. It's running through just through November 13th, 3 p.m. Eastern time is when it closes. So that's the deadline of when you need to kind of hop on board. We don't need your quotes until after that. We'll we'll collect them later. But what we need now is your support to to hop on this project and make it happen. We have already met our first initial goal. So this book is happening. And now what we want is just to make sure that we get lots of contributors on board because if we've learned anything from Hit Record, it's that the more contributions you have, the better product that you can make. And we want to give you guys an amazing product. So um, thank you for your support. And I can't wait for you to listen to this interview with Joel. So here he is. Mr. Quite Convincing. She's not nosy Just curious. So, hi. Thanks for... Hi. Thanks for doing this. So just to start off, so we met, like everyone I've interviewed so far, on Hit Record... Correct. And you, you're part of the comedy podcast group. Like, we've worked quite closely together. Yeah. And I was thinking back when the group of us, and we've already, I've already talked to Gareth and Tia and Sarah from the group, but a lot of us had already been kind of working on a project together. And then you, and then we started toying with the idea of, like, doing a comedy podcast. And I don't know, like, we pulled you in somehow. or you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was I was late to the band. I was like, uh, I was there, was some, there was something was already going on by the time I joined, which was nice. It was like you know things were happening, people knew each other. But yeah, yeah, I was wondering what that felt like if it was weird or if it was. Uh, no, it was good. It felt you know you know I would have liked you know being at the ground floor, but never mind. I had to I had to join on <laughs> on the first floor or something. I don't know <laughs> the second floor. Um, no, it was uh, no. I think I think it was. It was people I'd already been communicating with on the site. Sure. So it wasn't like, it felt like a logical group. It just, yeah. I mean, it was also fun to discover that people were like discussing things and doing things and planning things. And I didn't know that there was any kind of communication beyond the site. So that was kind of exciting. Right. We had a, we certainly had an energy around us, didn't we? I miss it. It was, yeah. I mean, it, it was a lot. It was. It was pretty busy, you know, when you kind of got like, oh my God, we've got to get a sketch written about, about the, what was it, about the Gulf War in, in, in four days. Go. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting intensity. Yeah, and every deadline was self-imposed too, which is kind of... Right. <laughs> Why? Because we said so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, but that was, I mean, I'm thinking of podcast, but of course it started with, yeah, the comedy podcast and right. Pickle and Christmas and all that fun stuff. Yeah, those ones we turned around in like six weeks. And yeah. We were, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed yeah. the, the speed of the speed of it all. Yeah, that was crazy. So, um, so I'm going to get more into Hit Record later with sure. you, but I wanted to know if you would indulge me with young Joel. Young Joel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that awkward little guy. Uh-huh. What about young Joel? So, so you're from the UK, or do you say England? What do you say? Uh, UK. You say you're from the UK. Yeah. Okay. Far too much and... guilt surrounds the word England. <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah, no, UK. I'm happy with the UK. Okay, all right. So you grew up there. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, kind of like what what life was like, what you what you were into growing up. So I was born in London, was there until I was six. So I wouldn't say I was a big part of the scene. Um, and then moved to Oxfordshire. So that's the kind of the county that surrounds the, the town of Oxford or the city right. of Oxford. So, yeah, in a small town south of Oxford. Did you play sports, music? Played the violin for a bit, played tennis. I mean, everyone plays football in the park. I wasn't any good at it, though. And, I mean, thinking about, like, comedy and hit record stuff, I definitely was... Comedy was a big thing for me, and I used to... Like, really? as a young kid, like, jokes were a big thing. Like, telling jokes is, like, it is... But I used to always try and remember jokes and just kind of um, always have them in my back pocket. And then oh. I think... <laughs> and then uh, sitcoms were were a big thing for me and um, old sitcoms as well. So I was I was thinking back and um, we used to go on uh, holidays in the car. So we'd like drive to somewhere um, in the UK. We used to do a lot of camping holidays as a family and we'd have tapes for the car. So you'd get like, you'd have like eight tapes that would be rotated through during the car journey. And we used to have tapes of BBC sitcoms Oh. Uh, as well as music. So I used to have like, we had one, I think, Faulty Towers, and then. Just the audio? Or just the audio. I remember Faulty Towers had, because um, there's a lot of physical comedy in Faulty Towers. So I think it had, like, uh, they'd got the actor that plays Manuel explaining the, the, common, the slapstick. It doesn't quite work. <laughs> he's like, he'd be voicing over what's happening in the slapstick. And then we had. Um, my favorite was Blackadder, and I'd never seen these shows, but I'd heard them, and I listened to those tapes again and again and again, oh. and I'd kind of look at the picture on the front to kind of get an idea of what these characters looked like, and I think that was kind of where, in a, <laughs> I was going to say an interest, maybe an obsession with comedy kind of started. Really, then. yeah, interesting. I um, so I think I told you recently that I I love the James A. Caster special mm-hmm. like i've been trying i i use you like i've been trying to get more into like some some of the uk stuff and it's hard for me it's not been easy but i really like him and he's clean enough you know that it's like so be, what i'm saying is i've shown the whole special to my kids that it's like okay. it's just it's just barely appropriate enough you know and they've like watched it multiple times and uh like they'll try and tell the whole like a whole i don't know if you've seen it like the whole bit on a banana the banana Uh store yeah they'll try and retell that whole thing to their friends and they'll be like try and explain they're like so there's a banana store (laughs) and they're like wait a minute let me back up there's free banana (laughs) that was that was me that was me um (laughs) Failing to recreate an Eddie Izzard sketch to a group of people. Yep, that was definitely me. I've since learned better, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really fun to watch because I hear, uh, you know, you hear about people that that um, have grew up doing that, but I don't, I certainly never did. But that's that's really fun to think of. And the whole family was into it, like to listen to the tapes? Well, my brother definitely was. So I think, you know... If my parents could find something that would please us both, then <laughs> they were sold That's on fine. that, you know, keep us quiet. But yeah, no, they were definitely into all that. 
all those um, great sitcoms and stuff. So I think it was a popular choice. Yeah, I was actually, I was going to ask if you traveled a lot because you seem to be someone that travels a lot. And I was wondering if you, you guys did a lot of like international travel as you were growing up. So my parents were teachers. My dad was a head teacher. So it wasn't, international travel wasn't something we could do like right. regularly. But my, you know, my parents would make a point of, they would plan a, an international trip every four years for the nice. family. And they'd, you know, be saving up for that. You know, we do camping UK holidays in between, and then we'd go on an international trip. So we did, I went to Asia as a six-year-old, and then US as a 10-year-old, and then the Caribbean, yeah, and then Caribbean as a 14-year-old. So those were the kind of three big international trips as a kid. Asia at six years old. Yeah. They're brave. Asia is a little blue-eyed, bleach blonde six-year-old <laughs> who was, yeah, I'm in lots of pictures, I think, of uh, Chinese locals and the, the Thai locals were very, very keen for them to have a family picture with me in the middle of it. So, <laughs> so I was just, yeah, I just went along with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I have memories of the sights and the smells and the sounds and a few, a few kind of um, photographic memories of certain things. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And were you a good student? I was, yeah, I was well behaved. I was a good boy. Um, yeah. I didn't get in too much trouble. I ask you because I've told you this before. I think you're one of the smartest people I know. And so I'm curious if that was... Well, my brother was more, definitely more academically inclined mm-hmm. than I was. He was the one that getting the, you know, breaking the records for most number of A's and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I think I think a little bit of that competition, I don't know. I think at some point in my life, I just stopped competing on that level mm-hmm. and just did my own thing. But that definitely was there for a while. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm a good, a good bullshitter as well. So I think I can come across mm-hmm. as knowing more than I do. My wife points out that I just say things with authority and like a fact that really I probably should start with, I think, or I reckon, but I don't. I just state it as a fact and enough people don't challenge me that maybe they leave thinking, yeah. oh, he's, he knows a lot about, yeah. or maybe they know that I'm... And around here, the accent helps. It makes you see Oh, absolutely. Moving. Absolutely. <laughs> I can get away with a lot. So then, so then you went to university. Mm-hmm. Psychology. Psychology. You went to you went to another town. You went yep. away. Yep, went down to the south of England. My brother went north up to Sheffield and I went south down to Brighton. Oh, um, okay. Just to make it easy on my parents for when they were traveling to drop us off. Yeah, did psychology but didn't hang out with anyone that was doing psychology much. A couple people but didn't connect with the, the other psychology students. I don't know. I don't know. It's It's interesting. It's mostly... Well, not mostly, that's a generalization, but I feel like a lot of people were doing psychology to kind of find out about themselves and why they were so, I don't want to say weird, but like, I don't know what the (laughs) correct way of saying, but yeah, yeah, they were trying to, I don't know. It was a bizarre group of people. Maybe it was just that cohort or the people I sat with on that first day, but I ended up hanging out with the people I met in my, uh, in the dorms, lots of lots of people studying history and other things, and yeah, no, it was a good time then. Yeah, how'd you land on psychology? Was that? Well, I was weird, so I wanted to discover about myself. <laughs> no, I, 
I got a piece of paper <laughs> and I'd done A levels in I was doing A levels in maths and history and English literature and I literally got a piece of paper with all the possible majors on it and I went down it and in my head said hi I'm Joel I'm studying <laughs> boom 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 in my head said them all and okay. none, none of them sounded right until I got to psychology and I was like oh yeah that could be me so I did that yeah all right. yeah what a great uh definitely not what I advise people to <laughs> I always say you know you have a job in mind and you should think ahead and always plan for things and higher education right. is a um a step along the way to future uh, career opportunities so I definitely did not practice what I currently preach but well, and you're what, like 18 at the time trying to to yep. figure all that out? Yeah, yep. it's, it's an exercise. You can't win. And then you minored in film. I did. I know so much about you. <laughs> How do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, I so, did. I yeah. did minor in film. So did you go in thinking that you were going to do that? Or did that kind of develop along the way? That was a reason I chose to go to Sussex, because I could minor in film. That was probably why I had a passion for at that time, but I knew I didn't, I don't know, I didn't, I, at that point, and even now, I, di I didn't want to put my eggs in that basket. I knew it was a very competitive industry. I knew it was a very, yeah, I don't know. I just, it was def it was an interest of mine and I wanted to pursue it as a kind of passion, but I wasn't convinced that it was a career path for me. So I just thought if I can continue to, to be involved with it, maybe at some point I think, actually, I want to transition this to being something to do with career, then I can. But um, for now, studying it as a minor was a good choice. Mm, okay. And so that was along with kind of like you, you loving all the comedy stuff as a kid, like you were really into films as, as well. Yeah, I was. Oh, God, I was I was I was boring. I was. You know, I was into old films. I was into... My dad got me into Akira Kurosawa, 1950s, Japanese, black and white films. Um, I'd spend too much on DVDs um, imported from various places. And yeah, no, I definitely enjoyed enjoyed movies and not just comedy movies, though. All kinds right. of movies. Yeah. And then I got to doing film as a minor and ended up watching a lot of great movies and a lot of really difficult, I don't know if you know Birth of a Nation. You know I don't. Uh, W.D. W. Griffith's 1916 <laughs> silent oh, wow. film, four hours long, where the Ku Klux Klan <laughs> come in at the end and save everyone. Oh. It's like, oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's four hours of my life that... I will never get back. But yeah, but mostly good fun. Yeah. So when you do study film like that, you're studying... Studying it as an art. So it wasn't the process. Right. So it's not filmmaking. It's about... No. It's analyzing the films and... Yep. Film movements. Ah, okay. uh, In the first year, you're going through all the different film movements and like Soviet montage, neorealism, all that kind of stuff, French New Wave, and then you specialize in the second and third years and start to kind of focus down on, on a, a couple of periods or... Mm. And do you choose one? Like, did you have to do like a, a paper or a... It wasn't like a dissertation. Yeah. But yeah, we've, I finished on kind of a, a couple of Japanese directors and their Hollywood Western influences. Oh, interesting. Y yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know. Like, I didn't do, you know, I think back, it's funny because through these interviews, I'm like thinking back a lot to, to different times in my life. And I think back to college and it's like, uh, and I was a business major and we didn't have to do, you just had to finish. Like there was no thesis or, you know, it was an undergrad degree. You didn't have to do any special project or something. And But then I think, <laughs> I don't know if I even would have, because there were certain classes I wanted to take that I would sign up for and I'd like get the syllabus and I'd read it and I'd be like I'm out and I'd just drop the class in the first couple days and I was so ex- I was so interested to take history of the holocaust and wow I, I know <laughs> and I it was just something that I just found very interesting and I was like I'm gonna take this I'm gonna take this and I walk in and I got all the assignments and I was like oh this seems like an awful lot of work and so that, so that was that, that so if you're majoring in business but then you have did you have like general requirements you taking or it's electives funny or here so that was probably me taking a history requirement that's right. trying to complete a history requirement but i think i wound up taking like history of recreation like for two credits and it was literally just <laughs> It was like one of those what you call EZAs. I, I don't know what we learned, but I know we went on a tour of the stadium one day and like, I I don't know, listening. So to you took t- a lot from it. <laughs> and then uh, because a lot of people skipped, um, it turned out that if you had attended all the classes and you had an A in the middle of the semester, they told you, you don't have to come back. You're set like you've done <laughs> You don't have to come back? Like you've already earned an A, basically. Because a lot of people, my my roommate, she was skipping a lot of classes, so she didn't qualify. So she she had to keep keep going to the classes. (laughs) Gosh. And I was like, I was really set. Oh, but I enjoy it. I'm going to keep going. But then, you know, three o'clock on Thursday rolls around and and it's all the way across campus. And you're like, (laughs) but I don't have to go. So... (laughs) And so for science, I took a, a, a class called Man's Food, and I also took... A... Man, sorry, Man's Food? <laughs> yeah. As I opposed to Dog Animal Food? food. <laughs> <laughs> it was a science. I don't remember. And then there was also, like, um, growing fruit for fun and profit, and they would give you a cup of juice and a piece of fruit and some cookies as you walked in. And so, like, if you got a peach... They'd talk uh-huh. about peaches. It, and but wait, did they charge you for this fruit? It was included in your tuition. So how are they, that's not for profit. <laughs> oh, so, so yes, yeah, so, um, so yeah, you can take, there's like, yeah, you have to have, let's say, a certain amount of credits in history, no matter what your major is. But mm. history can mean a lot of things. And you can take real history, which I think you probably did. And then uh, you can take these other kinds of things. Other kinds of history. <laughs> yeah. Got to get you through. Got to get you through college. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, <laughs> that was my experience. But I think there is some of that. I don't know. I've been comparing the UK system and the US system. And I know the US system is, you know varies so much from state to state, from university to university. But yeah, I think to some extent, it's nice to have that freedom to, that, um, to take what you want to take. Like I was, I had a few electives, you know, I could choose the period I wanted to study in film mm-hmm. and I could choose 
uh, a few electives in second year, and I, I definitely could choose my project for third year for psychology, my research project. But I didn't have much choice beyond that, and I right. knew from day one that I would finish in three years. Mm. Like you're told, you know, as long as you choose these classes and you attend and you pass the classes, you will be done in three years. You don't have to be. You don't have to be designing and creating your own schedule to make sure that you can get out of university in four years, which I think um, puts a lot of additional pressure on okay. students to kind of to de design their own schedules. But then you've got that extra freedom. So yeah, it's it's it goes back to also. I mean, I don't know. I I, w I wish I'd have kind of learned more while I was there, but I you know I guess I wasn't ready it's like i'm ready now but too right. late now oh i wrote down here so i was talking about how I, I find you so smart and and how i'm always telling you that i have to google stuff we're always like chatting online and almost every time i have to google something and because facebook allows you to search your chats so ah. here's so here's all the things that uh some <laughs> of the things i've googled ready yes busman's holiday mm-hmm it's a, good, it's a good phrase. Very useful. <laughs> That's like doing your work for Oh, you fun? you haven't got the definition. You're trying to remember from when you looked up. Oh, I like it. Please oh, this help is a me. good game. <laughs> no, keep going. I know. This is when <laughs> Please you, save me. No, isn't that that's right, right? It's like would, when you're it's not <laughs> <clears throat> Please help me. It's like no, when you're you having it. to do what you do for work, but outside right. of work, right? Absolutely. It's like if you worked on a cruise ship, you wouldn't go on a cruise. Right. That's a busman's holiday. Right. Yeah. And a busman is a... Someone that drives... I mean, it's we call them bus drivers. I don't know why it's yeah. busman, but yeah. Okay, a bus driver. We call them bus yeah. drivers, yeah. That's so, what I assumed it was, but then I was like, oh, maybe it's a bus boy <laughs> when you said it. When you well, said that would cruise. work. Yeah. Yeah. You said, oh, God, uh, four, four, four hours, 33 minutes. It was, I mean, I'm looking at it, and it could be four feet, 33 inches. No, four minutes and 33 oh. seconds. See? Oh, the, 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 I yes. just looked at these like an hour ago. <laughs> yes. The silent orchestral piece. Oh, so what's that? The conductor comes out, they get, they get their four minutes and 33 seconds out in the sheet, and then they... They sit there in silence and then, for that amount of time. And is he directing them? And then the audience goes wild. Is he conducting? To start. I've never seen it live. <laughs> to be fair, I don't think I've heard a recording. I wouldn't know if I have heard a recording. How would you know? <laughs> but it's about, you know, I think it's about, you know, people cough in the audience. And, and so you get a different... It's and about, that's part of the experience. It's about the art of performance. Someone's and, unwrapping a candy. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's different each time because of... The experience of the people, yeah, it's pretentious <laughs> art stuff. So, some, so I, as I was going through these, some of these I realized is because we're from different countries, and some of yes. them are just because you have a better vocabulary than me. And <laughs> I, so, uh, I'll just fly through naff, muggish, mm -hmm. esoteric. I really should know that one. People use that a lot, but I should have to look it up. Jules Verne had to look that one up. Douglas Adams had to look that one up, though oh, you did explain. You should read Douglas Adams. That's the Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, that's a that's a good set of books. Quick reads too. They're yeah. good. And Pedantry. What's that one? I still I didn't look that one up <laughs> again today. 
see, this is actually, I use words, I don't know what they mean. Um, no, if you're a pedant, um, it means that uh, you are very particular. I don't know the exact definition. Oh, see, now I'm realizing see. that your wife. Oh, your absolutely. Wife has like, some... Complete bullshit. <laughs> 100%. I just don't tell people when I look stuff up. That's all. So yeah, that was an assortment of the things that I've Googled in our chats. Um, so in college, is that when you did a show in Edinburgh? No, that was, I should be able to date that. That was just after. So I was a teaching assistant straight after for a year while I was waiting to teach English abroad waiting for that stuff to come through and get qualifications in that. And I think it was, I think, or maybe it been right after third year. It's around then, sort of 20, very early 20s. Yeah, yeah, I'd completely forgotten about that. So Edinburgh has a big, like, comedy festival every August yeah, or something. Largest right, just... cultural festival in Europe, I want to say. Wow. And so there's all sorts of things that are going on. I want to know so much <laughs> about this. Like, what did you do? How long did you, like, was it one so show? Where you... The city turns into, everything turns into a venue. Okay. So if you're a cafe, you turn into a venue. If you're a pub, you turn into a venue. And then all the venues obviously have acts constantly during the whole, you know, during the day, during the evenings, all that kind of stuff. And there's... Lots of shows going on. There's something, there's lots of uh, music going on. There's lots of art um, being exhibited. The population of the city, I think, probably triples. And there's something called The Fringe, which is the comedy that's mm -hmm. going on. Lots of... Oh, so the whole thing's not just comedy? No, it's, it's, oh. it's art. It's art and culture, yeah. Okay, okay. So it's, I mean, it's... It's, I would say, I think it's known for its comedy. Right. But definitely some great musicians, some great um, bands come up and perform at Edinburgh. But yeah, it's known for its, what's called the Fringe Festival, which is right. the comedy part of it. In fact, lots of BBC shows get workshopped at the Fringe. So oh. like the Mighty Boosh and I don't know, there's a bunch of shows, Mitchell and Webb, other people would go up and they'd perform a show that they've been working on that year and they they do it at the Fringe and then popular shows get picked up and stand-up comedians go and do their thing as well. Mm -hmm. And then a, alongside that, in the cafes and the back rooms of the pub that I was talking about before, is something called the Free Fringe, which is basically you, anyone, can register or get to a, a slot to perform in these little places mm -hmm. and then at the end anyone can walk in and see it and at the end you hand around a bucket and you take um you Tips. take contributions mm -hmm. and so we had a a 50 minute sketch show 50 minutes maybe 45 um and so it was quite a lot. it was in a back room of the pub that probably had a capacity of 20 people okay. possibly um so we would spend and we had two weeks there the festival wow. is is four weeks and so I think we had 10, it might have been just weekdays, it might have been weekdays and Saturdays, I can't remember. It was either 10 or 12 performances. I want to say 10, 12 sounds like a lot. And so in the morning, and we had, we had a 5, 4, 5 o'clock, it was like early evening, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, late, we couldn't, 
we didn't have the benefit of people being too drunk when they came to see us. <laughs> Although I think, you know, there's a, there's a sweet spot to that. Um, I'm, I'm sure people, comedians know the exact time to catch people when they're the right amount of drunk for comedy. Um, but so, yeah, we'd get up in the morning, we'd put on some silly clothes, like some Where's Wally, Where's Waldo um, outfits or some... I don't know, we had a bunch of, you know, dress up stuff that we'd put on and we'd go and give out flyers on the, the main drag. And then, and then we'd try and get as many people, at least 20 <laughs> that day into, into the back room of the pub and, uh, yeah, do our little, our thing and then collect the money and, and then share it out at the end of the night and maybe be able to buy a drink with it or something. <laughs> Wow. So how many people were in your group and would you, were they from school or? So this was um, <laughs> similar to the, the hit record thing you were saying earlier with the, I was a late invitee okay. to a group of three friends who knew each other. One was the, the one that knew everyone. He had a good friend at school. They all went to the same school. They went to the private school in my town. In your hometown? Yeah, they knew of me, but I was, wasn't close with any of them. But I knew one of them better than the others. And yeah, he'd got that group together. He'd started writing some comedy. The other guy had a couple of sketches. One of the guys was, it was four guys. One of the guys was just very, had really good physical comedy. Mm -hmm. And then they, they invited me to join. And so we had a few writing workshops and then we chose some sketches and we rehearsed. I don't know, a dozen or so times. And then, yeah, I went on one of the only lads' holidays, lads' vacation that I've ever been on in my life with some university friends <laughs> just before and got there, uh, got to Edinburgh, sunburned. I must have been the only person sunburned in Scotland. Um, <laughs> and got there just before the, the first performance. Uh, yeah, a bit, a bit worse for wear, but it was good fun. Wow. <laughs> and did you guys perform it at all in your in front of people before you got up there like you practiced but did you yeah a couple of friends yeah and had you performed like I'm trying to figure out what were you doing before that I guess had you performed before were you writing on your own so I definitely wasn't writing on my own I performed in um kind of plays and musicals and stuff at school uh-huh so I definitely I'd been on a stage and performed in kind of, you know, hundreds of people in that, but I'd never, I hadn't performed comedy before that. Right. And did you ever again? No. <laughs> no. I don't, I wasn't very good. I was fine. Like I got the sketches. I was audible. I hit the lines. I think I was okay. Uh -huh. I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed workshopping, but they were definitely they one of them is still doing it and i don't yeah. know if he's still performing much but he's definitely he's taken a few more shows to edinburgh and pursuing a career in in comedy not sure what the other two are doing but yeah no they were i definitely felt that there was a lot a lot more talent around me than within hmm. me <laughs> but it was good fun i wouldn't have missed it yeah it was when you somehow you let that slip out or you mentioned it sometime and i was like what I couldn't believe it because I, I listen to all these comedian podcasts and they're always talking about Edinburgh, Edinburgh and, and just yeah I mean it's exciting. a good line to it's a good line to just throw out there that you've performed at Edinburgh <laughs> <laughs>
maybe giving you the details has kind of broken the magic of it. Like, <laughs> you can imagine. No, maybe that's, before in, that's then, incredible. I, I was kind of on stage to 200 people doing a stand-up or something. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was good fun. No, but the, the fact that you had a show for two weeks or whatever, that's, that's something. And do, did you have to, like, odd audition for the cafe for them to hold that spot for you or I don't, I don't it was all booked I don't know I don't know the process the of that. I'm guessing um, yeah, yeah it was all kind of done I'm guessing it's pretty easy I mean they get people in to to buy stuff buy drinks and stuff from the bar um right. you get to perform I mean it, it is just such a great opportunity for people who are thinking of getting into to comedy to to just get out there and do it with kind right. of very low risks and with very little working capital to just right. try and try some things out and you can change it night two, night three. And Did you get nervous? Do you get nervous before stuff like that? Yeah, I think, but I think that's good. Yeah. You've got to have a little bit of nerves. And when were you in a barbershop quartet then? Ah. <laughs> wow. God, I let a lot slip, didn't I? Um... <laughs> <laughs> that was so this is another thing my brother was definitely better at my brother was in a very good barbershop quartet that performed at like royal albert hall and went across to they toured and stuff yeah they went into europe and <clears throat> did some performances oh i was in <laughs> a uh it wasn't there were six of us so you can't call it a quartet um oh. sextet maybe i don't <laughs> yeah. know but um I was in a group that we got together because we were all studying music and could sing to a very varying degrees. And we would get gigs at local pubs in Oxford. <laughs> I don't know, probably three or four times. And so we'd go and... Does anyone at a pub want to hear a barbershop quartet? Surprisingly so. I don't yes. know if that's an Oxford thing. <laughs> we, we were unsure the first time, but yeah. No, it was... <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, people have people are tired of the the same rock bands doing the the covers of Queen songs that they'll happily listen to a barbershop quartet for twenty minutes. No, <laughs> it was good fun. That's that's amazing. Yeah, it, that came out because we did a sketch with a barbershop. We wrote a sketch or right. with a barbershop quartet in it, and all of a sudden, you you were like, "Well, I was in a bar- <laughs> I was in a barbershop quartet." It's like what? <laughs> Yeah, different lives. Uh, yeah, <laughs> both both very brief brief experiences. But, That's cool, um, though. Yeah, yeah, it's it was fun. It's a fun thing to say. And so I think you answered this question a little bit. So you came across the pond. You came to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Was it to teach English? No. So ah. I I met my now wife teaching English. So I was in Thailand for a year, then I was in Turkey for a year, and then we decided to go to grad school. And so it was either grad school in the UK or grad school in the US. So her job was to research US, my job was to research UK. She's much better at researching than <laughs> So we came to the US. <laughs> okay, so you did like, how long did you do in Thailand and, and in Turkey? Yeah, a year each. Okay, and you yeah. met her on the first one, the second one? Yeah, met in Thailand and then went to Istanbul together. You both did? Okay. That's incredible. My mother taught English in in other countries. Like when I went to college, she she was an occupational therapist, but I think she's just looking for 
for something else. And so she went she went to Tokyo for a couple times. Oh, nice. She went to Morocco out in a uh, part of Mexico and um That's cool. Yeah. And what age were you teaching? Were you teaching kids or adults? Kids. Okay. Large range. Um mostly younger kids, but um in Turkey I worked we worked in elementary schools, but in Thailand I did some secondary as well. Okay. Were they like private schools that were Turkey was private schools, Thailand was a state secondary and then was a private like language school for after school extra English classes that you worked at as well. So right. Yeah. Okay. It's usually you work for like a central private school or private organization and then they kind of hire you out to either right. state schools or local private schools and right. as a as an English teacher. I mean it's a great I'd recommend it. I mean it's always worth yeah, researching you. and um making sure I'm sure it's an industry where people can um get scammed and you don't want to find yourself in a in a foreign country with no contacts and and be let down but by a two very positive experiences of just not earning much money but living in countries where it was enough to get by and have some savings on top and just yeah really getting to know a country yeah yeah it was it was pretty special that's uh that's a nice age to go be able to travel the the world a little bit too yeah yeah before the next and so you right. both wanted to go to to grad school after that yeah and so that was, so you went from Turkey to the, well, to, I think back to the UK for a for few a weeks, bit. but then, then yeah, to the US. Was, yeah. What was that like? I mean, was it a big adjustment? For the US? For, yeah. Well, not from Turkey and Thailand. I don't know. It's kind of. <laughs> it was a weird, yeah, it's not like you went from home. Right. No, I'd say, I'd say with the cultural similarities between the UK and the US, mm-hmm. not to mention the, the language. Mm-hmm. With on top of that, the world becoming smaller and yeah, I don't think it was a huge, a huge transition. Right. Definitely didn't go through that, you know, classic culture shock wave. Right. And at this point, do you think you're kind of settled? No. To be no. <laughs> settled no. To, no, there's tra- there's travel coming up. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there'll be it'll, it won't be U.S. forever. Okay. Because, you know, I lived in Mexico for a little while and I was completely happy there and I was ready to stay. And then we came back to the U.S. and now it's like, no, I'm <laughs> I'm all set here. Thanks. <laughs> it's Why? just uh, just certain convenience. It's just, mm. you know, it's just so it's easy here, you yeah. know, and just little things more than I mean I love Mexico I love the people I love you know do you still get to go out there much uh I just we just go like once a year maybe okay yeah to visit the the family more than anything there were just little things like um like I don't have a second last name and everyone has two last names in Mexico so to like exist in a computer system you need to have two last names so it would always be a problem like at the bank that I didn't have another last name and um, would you just repeat it or would you, did you well, throw in your middle yeah, name? Well, yeah, the thing is, is like it can get very, um, like sometimes people can be very sticklers for things there. Like I've talked about how much I return stuff here, like how I'll return like literally anything and I have no problem and it's like a part of my lifestyle to be able to buy something and return it if I don't <laughs> like it. And you cannot do that in Mexico. And that's like a huge 
a huge problem for me. But also it's just like, yeah, I was afraid to, for example, put my mother's maiden name or anything else that I didn't have an ID that said that name because then I was like, they're not, they're going to say, you can't prove that this is you. This is not sure. matching. I'm sorry. Someone is, uh, someone is vacuuming the hallway right now. So oh. I'm sorry if that gets in the recording. Someone. 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 Yes, I'm not sure who it is. I'll have a look in a minute. I'll let you know. <laughs> Somewhere. But yeah, I wasn't sure sure if you would. Uh... Good. Well, I'm glad you. Yeah. Seem, you guys seem like world travelers, so. Yeah, we'll get we'll get back on the. I mean, this is, I mean, U.S. for what twenty twelve seven years. That's by far the longest I've lived anywhere as an adult. Sure. And. Isn't that yeah, weird? That's a, that's a chunk of time. Yeah, yeah, that is weird. That is weird. I I realize that I've lived where I live now in the same place longer than I've lived anywhere. And I'm like, that's weird. Right. Because I'm not from here. So I feel like, <laughs> well, why have I been here so long? I don't know. It's just, it's just weird to think about. It's like You're not from there. Why have you been there so long, Rebecca? <laughs> My son was born in this very room, you know. It's going to be weird when we leave. That is weird. You know? He'll be like, where was I born? I'm like, right on this, this tile, right here. <laughs> this, this square. That's where you were born. <laughs> well, you can, can you take the tile with you? <laughs> hey. No. No, thanks. <laughs> Maybe a bit weird. That, you know what? Literally, I went through, like, just in that split second, I was like, I'd have to chisel out the ground. <laughs> I was thinking about... Oh, <laughs> I was thinking about how much work it would be and how I'd break the tile. No, thanks. <laughs> okay, so 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 many people you know I talk to here are either professional artists or are wanting to be professional artists, so they're trying to get to the point where they can make a living at sure. their art. But you seem quite content having your other profession mm-hmm. and doing this on the side. Yeah, and I think it, it probably comes back to that. It's almost like that psychology with a minor in film. Mm-hmm. So it's like I got to pursue my degree and I got to pursue my passion. It's like I got to have my cake and eat it as well. Mm-hmm. And by getting involved in Hit Record and it's like I get that creative output, that arena, that collaborative um, opportunity. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I'm a school counselor. I love my job. I love what I do. I love, I can't see changing the, the day job, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. That whole, that whole don't give up your day job line. It's yeah. like, I'm not planning to. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I'm all set, thanks. I, yeah. yeah. My guess is, though, that you kind of do feel that need to create to kind of feel complete. Maybe. Um, maybe now. I don't know. I, 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 do, I do wish that I kind of found it earlier. Right. There was definitely a gap after the barbershop. After Edinburgh. Edinburgh oh. whirlwind <laughs> <laughs> of my early 20s. That there was definitely a creative gap. So I, I probably didn't know it wasn't, it was missing. Right. But yeah, I can't see myself giving it up anytime soon. It's definitely, as far as hobbies go, I don't know if hobby's the right word, but... It's just a great thing to do. And so you do a lot of comedy writing, but you also 
you do everything like i've seen you you're it's it's so it's so frustrating because you're so good at everything it's like oh i just threw together this video edit and it's like the best thing i've ever watched or you know you do a voiceover you get chosen for like all the voices and you it's so good that's that might be a bit there's a bit of british accent privilege going on there (laughs) i do like to dabble i like to try different things like there's stuff I, I did not envision myself. I probably could have imagined myself doing some voice work. I'm definitely more comfortable with that than full-on, you know, performance acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but I the whole um, graphic design, creating things in that arena, I had no interest in that direction, I don't think, until I, until I saw other people doing it and was right. like, oh, that looks fun. Yeah, and I've seen you make graphic design stuff, movie poster kind of things, and they come out great. I've seen you do an animation. You're like, oh, I told myself how to animate or something. It looks great. <laughs> <laughs> so <That> annoying. Is... <laughs> I think that was a that was like a three second animation. Have you ever seen? Um, I don't remember what it was. The no, episode of Parks and Rec. Yeah, um, not where... a lot. Who's the, the main character? Oh, I've gone blank. Leslie Nope. Leslie Nope. So my wife is very organized. Uh, binders excite her. Like she, she has some Leslie Nope characteristics. And of course, Leslie Nope gets with um, Ben, who is very geeky. And I definitely um, see some of my characteristics. He's definitely cooler than I am. But some of my characteristics, especially when he's inventing board games or doing stuff. And there's an episode where he's not working and she comes home and he spent all day doing a clay animation (laughs) (laughs) or maybe more than a day and they press play and like this rem the rem song starts the stand and then this little clay animation stands up and then it goes black (laughs) and that's that's it and he's like oh my god that took me and so i feel like some of that some of that is true that sometimes I'll have the time to spend all day on something that might be three seconds long. So it might look all right for three seconds, but when I consider how many hours I put into it, it's like, okay. (laughs) Right. The other day I tried to, I don't know why it was so hard for my brain. I was trying to make like a seamless looping thing, like a... Right. You did the, 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 like the, the... Well, I did like boxes and then I did like a little landscape, like a little, Mm -hmm. and the amount of tries and times it took me to just, and it's really very simple, the concept, but even like when I switched from one design that I was doing to it, like one was vertical and one was horizontal, it was like, I had to learn it all over again. And I was like... Rebecca, it just means, like, the left and the right just have to be the same. Like, that part, as long as that matches up. But just, and then I would be like, I think I got it. And I'd do it, and I'd mess up. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And it was just, and my kids would be coming up to me, or my husband asked me something. And I'm like, just, <laughs> got to figure this out. So I made the, yeah, I made this thing, and it's like, why? And then I was like, I got to put a car on this road that I drew and I had a car and I was like okay and I'm, I'm doing it all on my phone with like my finger and I'm like it's like probably three in the morning I need to sleep 
and like the car the wheels <laughs> the are like is tomorrow for the car on this road <laughs> in this animation that I'm doing. and they got it to work finally but the wheels were all like jagged like whatever i did and i was like this is not good enough and i don't want to do it again and now and now i'm just <laughs> but i know it's like every once in a while i'm like really i really need to learn how to do that today and, and <sighs> no other day I'm interested in it, but today is extremely right. important. Right. A- animation is one of those things that I feel learning a little bit about it does not ruin the magic for me. It's like if I do it for a little bit and, you know, spend six hours making two seconds of animation, I have, if anything, increased right. my um, wonder at the things that people create through animation. So, yeah. so I guess what I was saying... So you're this multi-talented person that can do many things. Is there a desire to get to a point where you're, I mean, and you have earned some money for for it, but like where it's creating another income stream for you, or it really is just to, you just want to create because you want to create? I don't know. I think there was a period... I think it was probably just after the first time where income actually came in, uh-huh. where I was like, ooh, income, <laughs> what's this? So definitely not before that. I It definitely didn't cross my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that the, my first round of payments or something, I got paid uh, 42 cents for some image oh, that had been used by mm-hmm. image, by, but that had been used by this, that had been put into this, or, you know, two seconds of voice work or something. Mm-hmm. And... And so it was like, okay, this isn't going to be a thing that produces money. That's right. fine. And I, I want to continue doing it. And then the next payment series came around and like a bunch of things just ran in Hit. together. Mm-hmm. And um, a bunch of projects that um, had all come together. And it was a chunk of money where I was like, oh, wow. Okay, this is this is actually, yeah, I should put this in the bank. This isn't like, yeah. <laughs> this isn't like Edinburgh, go out and buy a drink with this. That would... Right. And so... I think just after that, it was like, okay, this could be something where there is income coming from it that would supplement my my day job. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking at the projects that were, it was very clearly labeled which projects were going to be income producing and Mm -hmm. started spending my time on those and focusing on those. And I think when I look back, that's probably just before the period where I had a big break from hit record and stop producing I think when I started focusing on that it wasn't as mm-hmm. fun mm-hmm. and so even though it probably comes to the back of my mind a few times and I think about things and decide when I'm deciding like what to work on or what to put my time towards I would be lying if I said it didn't cross my mind but it definitely I try to just just have fun and pursue things and mm-hmm. pursue things that entertain me (laughs) more than anything else where do your interests lie right now i've been in a i've had a a writer's block especially as far as comedy is concerned i don't know i feel like i used to be able to just write sketches and even though they weren't some of them were better than others like they'd have they'd be a sketch they'd have a beginning they'd have a middle they'd be an have an end some of them were okay some of them were quite funny and i'd just be able to sit down if I thought for five or ten minutes something would come sometimes it would turn into a sketch sometimes it wouldn't but I just haven't been able to 
to get started in anything for quite a long time, especially yeah. comedy-wise, and I'm not sure why. I'm having the same thing. And I was looking back, uh, and that was, comedy was something I didn't start writing until I was on Hit Record, and I'm, I wouldn't say I'm that fantastic at it, but I enjoy, I, you know, I have some things that I've written and I enjoy. Absolutely. And I look back and I'm like, oh, I wrote that and I wrote that and we performed that. And I guess they were all based on certain little observations or ideas mm-hmm. that I'd have. And it's like nothing is coming to me lately. You know, there's like not, I don't I know. The, the world has stopped being funny. Oh. You can't make observations anymore because no one's being funny. Mm. <laughs> no, I don't know. See, you just say it, it like matter of fact. You're right. right exactly. That's my thesis <laughs> statement. And I'm going to back it up with nothing. <laughs> yeah. But isn't it frustrating? Yeah, I don't know. And I also, but I also feel like I'm not creating a lot of, like I'm doing the podcast and that's where my brain is. And I'm not kind of create, you know, or like the occasional <laughs> looping animation like that <laughs> comes to me urgently. But, um, yeah, I'm not, like, writing. And I feel like part of it's, like, an attention thing. I, I, I feel mm-hmm. like I just really need to kind of disconnect and think, and I have not done that. Like, I need a retreat in the mountains or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. When, when can you get that One of those cabin in the woods kind of things. <laughs> oh, lovely. But you are making stuff right now, aren't you? Probably just, just little odds and ends. Nothing that kind of came together. I used to like do things from not quite start to finish, but you know, I used to do those little audio things where I'd, I'd sit down, I'd write something, I'd record it, I'd put it out, and it wouldn't necessarily be connected to anything else. Whereas now, because I found that hard to get started, just to keep my toe in the water, I just you know, find some challenges that are interesting and contribute a voice here or um, a little image there. Yeah. I mean, I love collaborating and contributing to other people's challenges, but I also like that, that cre- creating something. Mm-hmm. Um, out of nothing. Yeah, out of nothing feeling. And yeah, it just hasn't been coming. Yeah. I was actually thinking of you. I listened to a podcast with Fred Savage, and I haven't seen the show yet, but he has this show on Sundays called What Just Happened with Fred Savage. And it's like a... It's like an after show where they talk about a like a hit show, you know, but the the hit show that they're talking about is fake. Wonderful. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's called like The Flare and I guess the beginning of their show and I haven't seen it yet, but it sounded so much like something that you had pitched before. It was like uh the first the first 2 minutes of their show is the last 2 minutes of The Flare and it ends on a cliffhanger and then they go into their like, you know, their talk show room and they're like, "What just happened?" and then they talk about the fake show and other yeah. things. And they have celebrity guests. And I was like, oh my God, that's so much like that you had pitched before. Yeah. No, just that whole mockumentary idea, the fake world. Because mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much, I mean, like that is tapping into, there's so much commentary on things these days. It doesn't, everything's being talked, everything has the TV show and then there's the podcast that talks about the TV show and then there's the... <laughs> Uh, I don't know the what Instagram talks about the podcast, account that, yeah. the, the links to the podcast, and and so when you're you get into that loop, it's 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 fun to 
to create something fake to start that loop and then see where it takes you. Yeah. I think that's, that's a fun idea. I think we covered quite a bit here. I want to see if I, let me see. Wait, do I have another page? Oh, I do. Let me see. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, dear. No, 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 no. It's tight. The last section is titled UK versus US. So, fight, fight, um, <laughs> fight, 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 fight. <laughs> so it was uh, kind of around what do you miss around the UK? Uh, we we're kind of talking, you know, I was talking about the, the US Mexico thing before. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it is interesting. I do think maybe less so these days, it's starting to become more real. But UK traditionally in the US has been probably, uh, what's the word? Um, people in the US generally have a higher higher opinion of the UK than is perhaps deserved. Okay. I think uh-huh. um, traditionally Europe has a much more higher regard, realistic yeah. opinion of the UK, oh, especially with all the all the people that, that holiday in the Europe and the things that they do. And so I think there's been that. And I think the UK definitely has a lower opinion of the US than it necessarily deserves. So I think that's an interesting combination. And so I... I think I'm in a position to making sure that people in the US don't um, look at the UK or people from the UK through rose-tinted uh, spectacles. But spectacles. <laughs> um, uh, my uh, my history teacher once was talking about that. He he said looking at the past through rose-tinted spectacles, but he got the the line wrong. And he said looking at the past through. Um, Pink rim, pink rimmed binoculars, <laughs> which I thought—I don't know if he meant to do it or not—but it's always been an expression that I wanted to use. Um, yeah, so I and I think that because of my Oxford accent, and perhaps I play in a bit too much to the the stereotypes of the UK that people in the US have. So I I never like playing into stereotypes, but. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> what do you miss? I guess. What do you miss yes. about home? <laughs> I miss. All right. I'll be stereotypical because it's true. I miss um, English pubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I miss having a local pub where you go in and well, it's the area I live in right now, but you can you walk there. Mm-hmm. You can go in. You can spend not too much on a pint or two. Um, you can have a game of pool if you want, and you can walk back home. <laughs> and I feel like that's something that you can do most places in the UK, but fewer places in the US. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously family. I probably should have said family before pubs, um, <laughs> but that was I took that as kind of a, a given. I mean, that's a huge difference between UK and US university experience. Because UK, with the drinking age being 18, the pub is the the centre of the university. Right. So the pub's where you go to do your reading and oh. meet your friends and maybe the professor will be there. And, you know, that's, yeah, that's a kind of centre of university life before or after the library, depending on your inclinations. <laughs> and then in the US, particularly, obviously, undergrad experience, it's... There isn't that university pub, and so it's um, and so it's all about you know those uh, those house parties that you see in those movies right. with the red cups. 
Yes. Not that we don't have house parties in the UK, but but slightly a slightly different. <laughs> but do they um, have solo cups all over? Yeah. Do they have not, the right? Not cups? solo cups. We don't have the red cups, so maybe that's maybe that's what we're missing. No, we um we drink from goblets or um, or tankards, <laughs> no. depending on on what you're drinking. Well, now the beer pong game is so popular. Are they playing that over there? And- uh, I was first introduced to beer pong in at university in the UK, but we did have a lot of American overseas students, and okay. I think they were they were kind of uh, they were running it. So right. that was my introduction. I don't know if I'll leave this in. We would. <laughs> My friend and I, for some reason, we were convinced that you had to do it from your mouth. So we'd put the ping pong ball in our mouth. <laughs> and we'd, you know, spit it across the table, uh-huh. try and land it into the cup. Then oh. it fall on the ground, right? Sure. Or something. <laughs> Probably wipe it off with our shirt. But the I other person would then have to drink from I, the cup? The, if the you land pong? it in the cup, then they'd have to. Yeah. But wow. I just keep thinking, That's like, a... I'm just such a germaphobe right now. And I'm like, <laughs> did we pick it up off the floor? And then, you know, like, if you miss or something. Oh, my God. <laughs> I... That is quite a... <laughs> so, but yeah. we never did throwing. We always... <laughs> no, no. So, so are you remarkably skilled at hitting a target <laughs> with a ping pong ball <laughs> projected from your mouth? <laughs> We didn't play it that often, but when we did, that's how we did it. <laughs> I think someone told you those are the rules as a joke. and <laughs> Yeah, we're trying to convert the whole room. No, 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 you're doing it wrong. Yeah, so, okay, you're drinking younger. Do you think that would work here? To suddenly, I mean, it's always a risk to change. Yeah. I think, you know, it kind of, I think there is something to be said for knowing to a to finding your limit mm-hmm. at, at an age and especially as i again with the walking distance it's like when i'd go to, to the pub as a um 18 year old mm-hmm. then um when i came say i came home from university and i'd walk down to the pub then my parents would know where i was right they'd know you what i was on. drinking uh-huh. they'd know i who i was with they'd know i could walk home they so it wasn't yeah, tough to say. It's it's like I think what what it is now is not necessarily working here, but also a change. I feel like it would just yeah, it might mess everything up worse. <laughs> it's, it's not it's not working in the UK either. I mean, no. there's a binge drinking culture. I mean, I went. I remember going to Paris when I was, I don't know, probably I think I was eighteen or nineteen, and. You know, all the people outside with their wine glasses and their bottles along the river, all different ages, having a drink, talking, some talking a bit louder and stuff, but no, no aggressiveness, right. no, no like fighting or anything like that. Just people um, enjoying each other's company. And it just, yeah, the UK changed the licensing law to, to pubs open later. So pubs kind of moved from uh, last orders at 11 to to. Uh, one or two or three if they wanted to try and have people not rushing to get drunk and try and create this this Mediterranean culture and it's just like yeah you can't you can't force that on people they're just gonna they're just gonna um yeah Hmm. I I don't know 
I don't, I don't mean it. Cult, culture is an interesting thing, and it, it's. I don't think legislation is a, is the route to change culture. Right. And talking about that, so you introduced me to the show Green Wing, which <laughs> uh, which I enjoyed. But immediately after I started watching uh, an episode, I was like, "Was this on? Like, was it on the equivalent of a a network station?" The yeah, Channel 4, Terrestrial, so yeah. anyone could watch it. Yeah, and because it's quite, uh, how would it, like the, the L- language. The, <laughs> such a prude. And uh, I was like, oh, and you, you said something about what's the, what's the rule after the 9 watershed. o'clock? Yeah, watershed. So the, I think there's an assumption that, that, you know, anything goes after 9. Well, not anything, but, you know, the kids, the kids are expected to be in bed. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's nine. It seems like uh, the more I listen to podcasts or see the shows or whatever, I'm saying, oh, swearing is much less important. Like I think so. People I mean, swear more. Yeah. I mean, obviously, again, it's a cultural thing. I think right. there's some some working environments and some cultures, definitely within the U.S., where swearing would be much more common. But as a rule, yeah. I mean, it's weird because I worked in schools. Right. I just kind of blocked that part of my... Yeah. So I, I would, you know, code switch. And mm-hmm. whereas some people... They never turned sw- it off. Swear, swear at work and swear with their friends. I yeah. would I would kind of have to uh, get that ability right. um, to code switch and be able to switch it off. Mm-hmm. But it's also a generational thing. I remember there'd be certain comedians that I used to watch and enjoy... And and then suddenly you what and you, I wouldn't realize that they'd be swearing, and then I'd sh- share like with a <laughs> a grandparent or something, and suddenly it's like oh, they are swearing every other word, <laughs> and it's like oh yeah, I didn't I didn't notice that <laughs> until now. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the tricky thing. You can hear that, but don't say that. For you, was it always something where you just never swore? Is it a thing with kids or? I mean, certainly growing up, you know, you weren't supposed to swear at all. I think once when I was nine, I, you know, I, my mom, I was like literally in a sandbox or something, you know, I was, maybe I was younger than nine. It was, I, and uh, where's your bike? Oh shit! I left it at the neighbors. <laughs> what? Oh my! And I didn't swear, probably ever again, in front of my parents. To this day, like I just like sure. I never turned it on, you know. And then yeah, I had a period of my life where I was swearing, probably more college and young twenties. And then my husband wasn't really into it, like the way it sounded, and I just mm. kind of stopped and now with kids mm. I you know I mostly don't or I will in Spanish because it doesn't sound so bad to me you didn't get punished for swearing in Spanish in the <laughs> sandbox therefore you don't have that association I don't know like I'll say certain Spanish words in front of the kids that I wouldn't say in English, because I don't hold a strong association that it's really bad. It's more sure. of like a, in my mind, it's a darn it, but it's probably not. It's stronger. 
That's funny. Do you think, now you don't swear on hit record, is that correct? I have not sworn on camera. Okay. So with my so with my face showing, like I okay. don't currently have a desire to have a video of me swearing. Okay, that's fair. But on audio, more open to I the idea. Would yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Because I think, and I think there's that whole argument in comedy about when it, when it becomes too much, right. and it's just leaning, and when it's, when it can be used for comedic effect. It's like and, a crutch for yeah. some people. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But yeah, I think sometimes just a, a little, a little peppering. Yeah, can, you're definitely more freer with it than I, than I typically am. Or uh, yeah, I think I go through phases too. I don't know. And my last thing I was going to ask you, I don't know if you'll have an answer for this, but it seems like all of the best U.S. shows are remakes of <laughs> British shows. And I'm, I'm, I was thinking about it again this morning. It's like, why is that? Because the U.S. is so good at just kind of like mass entertainment, you know, mm-hmm. just like worldwide exporting entertainment. But the best, it seems like some of the best writing or original ideas or something is not coming. So, for, for example? For example, The Office. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have another example. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's a but you know there's a lot because I'll, I mean, look, goes... I'll look at a show and they'll be based on blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I'll look that show up and it'll... I mean, it, I mean it, it's a long tradition. I mean, it goes back like Sanford and Son is based on Steptoe and Son and um, All in the Family was... Is that the US one? Uh-huh. Was based yeah. on... Archie Bunker... Yeah, that was based on um, Till Death Do Us Part. You know, so, I mean, it goes back to those kind of classic, what's that, 70s um, sitcoms. And I don't, I don't know if this is true of that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, like, U.S. has produced great original comedy. It's not. Sure. Um, but it definitely doesn't go, I can't think of any examples the other way. Um, mm-hmm. And my... My well, theory... they probably don't need to. <laughs> my theory is it's, it's not the writing, it's, it's what you said, it's the idea. Mm. And I think... Sure, because they're rewriting My theory it. is that because UK shows tend to be written by max two people. Mm-hmm. So The Office was written by Richard Gervais and Stephen Merchant, and Faulty Towers was written by Connie Booth and... Um, uh, John Cleese. And so when you're writing with two people, the advantage is I think you can become a lot more focused in your idea. Mm-hmm. You can really know those characters because you're the only one that writes for those characters and you can, they can be your voice. And so the concept and the structure can become very strong. Whereas in the US, I think, and I could be wrong, but of the shows I know there's a lot more writer's room. Yeah. And I think the advantage of writer's room is that you can get jokes per second much, much higher. Because mm-hmm. when you've got that many ideas coming into um, a scene and each one has something kind of funny to add, you can get a lot more jokes per second, which is great mm-hmm. um, to get those last per minute. And I think of something like, um, 
uh, Big Bang Theory or something like that where almost every line is either a punchline or a setup mm-hmm. or both. Right. <laughs> if you can like uh, get the avalanche going. And then when you get more jokes, you can take a concept that's already been kind of developed and loved and cherished and nurtured by a couple of UK comedians and then you can take that idea and steal that and and put it in a room full of people who are really good at writing jokes and create something as wonderful as the US office which which has that raw idea and that character of the boss and a few others that are solid and have that have got that basis in truth Mm. and then you can put all those um writer's room jokes on top of it that's mm-hmm. that's my theory Interesting. what do you think do you well go... with your accent it all exactly. sounds very official there we go. i think it sounds good <laughs> and so the the opposite of that i don't know how seinfeld was written but that seems to be something where it's like maybe two or three writers i don't know how much well, they write writer no, room there. i actually read a book about this there we go hey i know something yeah i mean it's you know it's seinfeld and larry david writing it but they basically would hire some writers, New York people, and they would just harvest every personal story that these guys had of something that had happened in New York. And it was very hard to stay in the writing staff for more than a year or two because it was like once they had sucked every wow. story out of you... Then they'd bring in a new group, and there was, wow. I think, maybe. So that's just, something that's you know. interesting, because that is definitely well constructed, laugh, you know, laugh a minute, fast right. paced, but also has that that truth. Right. Uh, definitely, the characters of George and Elaine um, have that that real truth behind them mm-hmm. um, that I was talking about with the UK shows. But yeah, interesting. Just all those stories, yeah, the soup Nazi, all the you know, yeah, all the yeah. little little details the marble rye whatever it is it's uh-huh. like yeah interesting they're they're pulling that from interesting yeah I mean, there, there a... was an interesting book i'll i'll find it and i'll link link to and it in they, the notes but don't was... they use that isn't there an episode where they harvest kramer's life for that autobiography that <laughs> elaine's boss is writing it all and oh so right that's... they pay him for his for right, his life for his, story he, he can't tell his funny stories anymore so <laughs> They did exactly the same thing to these these poor New York so writers. Meta. Oh God, that show! Well, um, thank you so much. I'm glad that you finally did this with me. I appreciate no, it. No, thank you. I'm surprised you were able to have questions for got me talking for that long. I didn't think I thought it was going to be like ten minutes. So um, I didn't know I had so much to say. So well, well done. Well, went. <laughs> When you've been in a barbershop quartet, I know there's a lot of layers to get through. Yeah. Well, that's a, you know, there's a lot of stories behind that. Maybe I'll wait to be harvested on that one. <laughs> it's for your book. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, you know, I appreciate you so much. I really value your opinions because they do sound so official. And uh, <laughs> no, I'm, you know, I'm in your fan club. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Rebecca. And now the part where I talk about everything we just talked about. And that was Joel, everybody. What a fun conversation. As always, I just kind of want to run through some notes. We mentioned all of the podcasts that we worked on together, and I'll link them all up. They were really fun. I miss doing them. We used to do these these comedy podcasts. When we first started it, the theme would be very broad. We'd do it just 
one word theme and every sketch that we had would somehow be related to that theme so we did a Christmas one one that was based on pickle that I didn't realize how dirty that one would get but that one was really fun we did another one uh, I think called service then we went to a a much more formal theme which is when we did the pod pass 1991 episode and then we all kind of fizzled out a little bit and went on to our other projects and haven't been back but boy I really enjoyed doing sketch comedy podcasts and it was so fun to work with a group of people because we'd be rush 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 trying to pitch ideas write sketches get people to do the voices uh, get them edited and produced and it's just a good time so I'd be totally open to doing that again I left in (laughs) I really do if I have a conversation with Joel and this is the first time we've ever talked in person for any period of time um definitely most of our communication has been just through chats and related to this comedy sketches that we're working on every once in a while we'd have a conference call with a bunch of people so uh that's one of the nice things about doing this podcast honestly it's the longest conversation i've had with any of uh my guests and it's just so fun you get to know people on a much different level But I really do Google something almost every time I'm in communication with Joel. And so we played that little game and it was hard for me to leave leave a lot of it in because it shows my lack of vocabulary. But but that was a fun time. I was, for this, I was going to look up more examples of shows that started in the UK and uh, came to the US, and I didn't I didn't do that. I'm going to guess. Homeland? I'm not sure if that came from the UK. That might have come from somewhere else in, in Europe. Uh, Shameless, I think, came from the UK. But again, these are just off the top of my head. I didn't really do my homework. And uh, that Seinfeld book, it was a really interesting book. I am going to link that in the in the notes as well because it, it's just it's kind of like an unofficial look inside how they made Seinfeld, but it it was uh, it was really interesting. And if you haven't seen the James A. Castor, it's a stand-up special that's that's recorded in four parts, and it's on Netflix, and it's fantastic. It's it's kind of weird. It's pretty clean and I love it. And we love the whole banana store bit. So you should definitely look that up. Also, I found the, I found the Parks and Rec clip about the claymation that Joel mentioned. So I'm going to find a way to link that or, or use it on social media. (laughs) I can definitely relate. And I had mentioned that Fred Savage show, uh, what just happened with Fred Savage. I think it's, already come and gone I think it was already canceled but I really did like the concept and it really is something very similar to what Joel had pitched us like a year or two ago as a potential podcast concept it actually is saying that I'm sure you've heard but I learned from Joel was you know there's nothing new under the sun which uh, the more that I think about it is so true especially when it comes to show concepts and it's hard to come up with an actual original idea but I guess what makes it original is our own individual takes on everything and it was just so I just really enjoyed the whole insider story about Edinburgh I I do listen to a lot of stand-up comedy 
interviews with comedians, Edinburgh always comes up. And it just seems like such a mecca for all of the, the comedy stuff. And it's it's so cool that they have this free fringe section where you can basically just go and do and perform. And I don't know that in this day and age I'd have the guts to do that. But it was really cool to hear an insider experience on how to do that and what a fun age to do it too. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for subscribing and sharing this podcast. And if you haven't given it a review, that would be awesome. But at this moment, if you are listening before November 13th, 2019, I'd ask that you please go to littlequotesbook.com and check out our project. I'm so proud of it. I really want to have as many people be a part of it as possible. So come on over, check it out. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye.